This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Great to have you along here on this Thursday afternoon. Libby will be back for Free For All Friday tomorrow. So what do you think about the new Trudeau minority government cabinet? Did the prime minister make all of the right moves to try and heal division in the nation witnessed in the results of last month's federal election? Or is it all just optics? Your opinions are welcome and the lines are open. 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Joining me in studio Studio to discuss is Liberal Strategist Charles Bird, Managing Principal of Toronto Office of the Earns Cliff Strategy Group. Charles, hi. Good afternoon. Let's recap the highlights as you see them. Well, um, obviously, it's uh, the formation of a cabinet in any new government is is a fairly significant event. Um, we have uh, a cabinet of 36 individuals, uh, equally balanced between men and women, uh, as was the case in 2015. Uh, we've seen some notable promotions, most notably that of Christopher Freeland, um, a Toronto area MP who will now be Deputy Prime Minister, Minister of Intergovernmental Affairs in charge of uh, the Canada-US-Mexico trade agreement. Uh, chiefly responsible for liaising with uh, provincial premiers on a number of key issues, especially in Western Canada. Uh, We saw the ascension of John Wilkinson to the critical portfolio of environment and climate change. He's a British Columbian who grew up in Saskatchewan. Uh, He has an extensive background in environmental technologies. Um, We see the addition of six new members to the cabinet, two of whom were only just elected last month. Um, A number of prominent names, including um, Marco Mendicino, who becomes Minister of Immigration, Refugees and Citizenship. And he's a very interesting story in as much as he was first elected in 2015 after a very contentious nomination meeting with uh, Eve Adams, who'd crossed the floor from the uh, Conservatives to the Liberals. Uh, he defeated Eve for the nomination and then defeated then Minister of Finance Joe Oliver in the election. And so his ascension to the cabinet is a, is a very significant moment. Oh, how do you, I mean, I want, just want to focus on Christian Freeland uh, a little bit. Clearly, Justin Trudeau regards her, if not his right-hand person. I mean, she's right in there. She and Bill Morneau um, likely would be seen as uh, his two most valuable players. Given the success that she has had so far with the renegotiation of NAFTA, is it fair to say that she is likely to be successful at the diplomacy required to bring the West and Central Canada together? I would certainly hope so. I think that is that is um, very much the thinking behind the Prime Minister's decision. I mean, let's be clear, Ms. Freeland is, is a remarkably capable individual. She proved herself very adept in her former portfolio of foreign affairs. Um, she is smart. She is strategic. Uh, and uh, 
but part of part of her appointment is really a, a political reality, and I've I've alluded to it in the past, and that is the fact that, um, you know. The Prime Minister is a very polarizing individual for a lot of Canadians, and that's especially true of conservative Canadians who just, uh, he drives them batty. I right, think but they to. like Christian Freeland. But they, they like Christian yes. Freeland, and, and, you know, and that's especially true of conservative premiers, especially in Western Canada, where there might be a political temptation to always want to be duking it out with the Prime Minister. And instead, here's the Deputy Prime Minister who can approach these issues a little, with a little, you know, a little more under the radar, a little less media attention, a little more direct down to business, that sort of thing. The big question is whether the premiers will be satisfied dealing with the deputy prime minister or whether they might insist on dealing with the prime minister himself. Without getting too far down the path that's required here, in terms of strategy, how do you think she should go about trying to uh, bring the Western premiers closer to the vision for the whole country. Well, she said it herself perfectly yesterday when she emerged from Rideau Hall with her new assignment, and that was uh, job one is to recognize that the government was delivered a very, very serious message from especially Alberta and Saskatchewan. And so her first priority will be to listen very hard indeed. And that is likely the right strategy, which is to say that if she attempts to go into her new portfolio and and her new responsibilities with a sense of, okay, here's what I have to do, A, B, C, D, E, I'm just going to get her done. And that's all she wrote, that she won't be successful. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's really got to find a path forward, just as she did in terms of the, the Canada-US-Mexico trade agreement negotiations. I mean, talk about a fluid situation. And ultimately, the, the test of our government and of, by which I mean the federal government and, and, and other governments across the country will be um, expanding opportunities for natural resources and our resource economy. And that really means getting our resources to export markets and to tidewater. And that is a very, very tricky issue as the previous four years, in fact, the previous 25 years have shown. I want you to get in on this conversation as well. We've got limited time today with Charles to talk about the newly formed cabinet, this minority government in Ottawa, which will reconvene Parliament on December 5th. Your reaction to the moves that Justin Trudeau has made, whether you are a fan of the Prime Minister or not so much? Do you think that the moves that were made will start to make a difference in the issues that had surfaced around the election? 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. Just before we leave the topic of Christian Freeland, it has been a while since Canada has had a deputy prime minister. Indeed. 2006, I think I read yesterday. Uh, What are the responsibilities in that role? Well, the responsibilities are largely as the Prime Minister defines them. And in the case of Ms. Freeland, it's clear that she will be given um, considerable scope in terms of the performance or execution of her duties. I think we'll know more when we see the mandate letters, which is um, what the Prime Minister will issue to individual ministers, which outlines very clearly exactly what's expected of them in terms of intended outcomes and priorities. And um, it was actually the Trudeau government uh, in 2015 that mandate letters have been around for a long time. They're a great way for the prime minister to make it crystal clear to his or her ministers exactly what he expects. It was only in 2015 that the Trudeau government took the then unprecedented step of making these letters public so that the public could see, ah, and 
as such built in a huge degree of public accountability. You know, the mandate letter says you were to do this. Did you do it or didn't you do it? And so those mandate letters are expected to come out early next week and then we'll have a much better idea. But the job is also what she makes of it. Um, I mean, she may have success in some areas. She may find that other areas will take longer or will be more protracted. Um, And so they'll learn as they go, I suspect, in terms of the exact nature of what she can achieve and and what will have to wait a while. And her replacement in foreign affairs? Terrific individual, extensive experience in international trade, very learned um, from Quebec, which is significant because, you know, this this election sent some very real messages to the government. Obviously, Western alienation is, is, a, is a serious issue that has to be taken seriously. But also, we saw on October 21st, the somewhat unexpected resurgence of the Bloc Québécois in Quebec. And while they didn't make a big deal of it during the election campaign, they are uh, a separatist party devoted to, you know, the separation of Canada to the rest of, from the rest, the separation of Quebec from the rest of Canada. And, you know, the job one for any prime minister is national unity. And so Prime Minister Trudeau finds himself dealing with that in two separate components. One, in terms of Western alienation and the lack of liberal representation in Alberta and Saskatchewan, but also in Quebec, where, you know, the, the bloc obviously made some big strides. And so the appointment of Minister Champagne to such a prominent portfolio portfolio as foreign affairs is very significant. Likewise, um, the new government house leader, which is going to be critical in a minority situation. Another Quebecer from Montreal, a fellow by the name of Pablo Rodriguez, mm-hmm. fluently bilingual, utterly charming, very strategic. So these are all important steps forward. In studio here with me on Fight Back, Jane for Libby today. She returns tomorrow is liberal strategist Charles Byrd, managing principal of the Toronto office of Earnscliff Strategy Group. We're talking about the maneuvering that uh, Justin Trudeau, our prime minister, has made with his new cabinet and your reaction to this. Do you think the decisions that he's made will make any difference, especially if you were a conservative or an NDP voter? Do you feel a bit reassured by the move? that he has made, uh, primarily Christian Freeland. Uh, she seems to do well across party lines. Uh, do you like her in this role as deputy prime minister? Do you like the fact that she, with her success in diplomacy, uh, will now be working with the premiers of the Western provinces to try to heal the division that we all felt after that election last month? A few more minutes to discuss. 416-360-0740. Toll free, one 740 Charles, there were a few uh, snickers on Twitter yesterday about this minister of middle class prosperity. <laughs> now, I know the minister of middle class prosperity, who also has the alternate title of associate minister of finance, which sounds a little more impressive. Yes. But yeah, there, there are some, there have been some, there has been some snickering. You're right about that. Um, but uh, Mona Forche is from Ottawa, uh, was only first elected to the House of Commons in 2017, um, following the, in a by-election, following the untimely passing of uh, the former member of parliament in Ottawa, Vanier, Morel Bilan. 
Angers. Uh, she went on to become co-chair of the Liberal Election Platform Committee along with Ralph Goodale. And uh, she is a really, really important symbol to the rest of the Liberal Caucus, which is to say that if you work hard, if you pay attention to your constituents, if you contribute proactively to the government's agenda, even though you're on sort of the, the furthest back bench, the furthest corner of the House of Commons, there's hope going forward that, that your efforts will be recognized. And, you know, often uh, the appointment of a cabinet is an opportunity for the government to signal what its priorities are. And so calling it the Minister of Middle Class Prosperity really speaks volumes in terms of what this government is looking to do. What is the status of middle class prosperity in this country, in your estimation, and where does it need to be? I think it's scary. I think a lot of people are, are economically highly challenged and very concerned about their future, the future of their children, the future of their family, whether it's aging parents or whether it's their own circumstances, living alone on a fixed income. I mean, these are these are very real challenges. And it's something that I know the Liberal government in Ottawa takes very, very seriously. And it's been a centerpiece of not only the, the 2019 campaign, but the 2015 campaign. And in fact, I think it was the contrast with the Conservative campaign and the Liberals' unswerving focus on the middle class and those people trying to get into the middle class that, that may have made the difference in, in the last election. You mentioned about seniors living on fixed incomes. We have a new seniors minister, and our fightback team has been reaching out to Deb Schultz people because we'd like to get her on to have a conversation and get to know her a bit better. Uh, CARP, a new vision of aging, has congratulated her, uh, but we'll have an ongoing list of demands to ensure that caregivers are are given uh, extra uh, money funding allowances to do what so many in this country are doing. Uh, does she bring to this portfolio any experience that is relevant? Uh, she is the member of parliament for King Vaughan and is a very, very hard worker um, and will be expected to implement what were some fairly substantial promises to seniors in Canada with regards to upping um, OAS. Uh, the survivor's benefit for CPP. Yes, yes. But that's effectively what it is. Exactly. Yes. And those are and those are those are big changes. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of a lot of um, seniors, especially in the greater Toronto area, which elected so many liberals, um, have taken those promises to heart and expect those promises to be delivered on. And I will say Deb Schultz is, is a very, very hardworking individual. And I think she will be, uh, she'll be terrific at this job. Uh, quiet in all of this, uh, quiet-ish in all of this is David Lametti as the Justice Minister. And Attorney General. And Attorney General, uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould's replacement. Um, what does that mean in terms of how Justin Trudeau uh, sees him developing in that role over the last several months. Oh, so far so good. Steady as she goes. I mean, there were a number of prominent senior ministers who were left in place. Um, uh, Bill Morneau at Finance, Navdeep Baines at uh, 
innovation, science, and industry, as it's now called, because the economic development portion of that has actually been hived off for Quebec Minister Melanie Jolie. Um, I think in the case of Mr. Lametti, he walked into an absolute firestorm when he was appointed as the successor to she who will not be named. Yes, <laughs> although we just did. <laughs> and, and she's, yeah. in fact, managed to get herself reelected as an independent mm-hmm. and could very well end up leading the Green Party, which was set up quite the quite the election scenario in terms of just former best friends who become, you know, just sworn adversaries yes. to each other. So that should be fascinating. But yeah, I mean, David Lametti as Minister of Justice and Attorney General of Canada has that which the government really recognizes it needs after the previous four years, which is safe hands, calm, steady judgment, and um, won't end up, you know, creating a firestorm. And before we move on, I do want to hear what how you think things will go between Premier Doug Ford and Justin Trudeau tomorrow. But Bill Morneau, Harjit Sajjan, stalwarts in their positions. Absolutely. You expect them to be solid going forward as well. Yeah, and, and you know, it, it'll be interesting. Um, I mean, less so Minister Sajjan, who I, I believe has the complete confidence of the defense community in this in this country, especially given his remarkable service uh, to the Canadian military. Yes. In the case of Mr. Morneau, that will be somewhat more interesting in as much as um, obviously there are a number of ministers who will now report to him, including Melanie Jolie as the Minister for Economic Development. Um, but how things balance out in terms of Christian Freeland and, and Bill Morneau, who are good friends and their neighbor, their neighboring ridings right in the heart of the 416. Um, that'll be interesting going forward. That partnership could be, could be extraordinarily important to the success of the government. And I'm very keen to talk about, uh, to talk about Doug Ford. Okay. Let's do it. He, not that long ago, just a hour, a couple hours ago, Doug Ford came out in front of his office door at Queens Park, which he doesn't do very often and says he wants to collaborate with the Liberals. What's good for Ontario, he said, is good for Canada. What's good for Canada is good for Ontario. He's saying all the right things. He is. Um, Can we get political for a minute? Sure. What you're seeing here is um, a very, very interesting political dynamic because obviously the people, the Premier and the people around Premier Ford made a conscious decision to a stay out of the federal election. He might have gone in with sword waving and all sorts of uh, all sorts of interventions that might have served the Conservatives better in Ontario than than the the federal Conservative campaign might have thought. Um, but I think he he I think the Premier recognizes quite shrewdly that the re-election of the Trudeau government, where Ontario's support was absolutely instrumental, and where. Essentially, the the level of num- the number of seats coming out of Ontario for the Liberals remains almost identical, suggesting that the Prime Minister has sort of kept the faith of Ontarians. I think the Premier has quite wisely decided that you know now is the time for cooperation, um, but at the same time, he also is emerging as something of a champion for national unity at a time when national unity is starting to become more of an issue. And I think this is very, very clever for the following reason, and that is less so Jason Kenney, Premier of Alberta, who's the first to jump all over uh, (laughs) Justin Trudeau and the Liberals. And, um, And so it looks like 
pre, it looks to me like Premier Ford is setting himself up as a very clear contrast to, to Premier Kenny of Alberta. And why would he be doing that? He would be doing that because Andrew Scheer's leadership is in very serious doubt. And Conservatives from across the country will gather in Toronto next April and they will vote on whether they want Mr. Scheer to continue as their leader. And in my conversations with Conservatives, it's very clear to me that Mr. Scheer is in a lot of trouble in that regard, which could set up a doozy of a succession race. And clearly, if either of them were to decide to run, Jason Kenney and Doug Ford would be absolute front runners. You could probably throw Rona Ambrose and Peter McKay into that mix. But um, it's it's becoming increasingly clear that, that Andrew Shearer is going to have a very difficult time holding on to his job. Because as Peter McKay said, the Conservative Party, given the events of 2019, were shown an empty net and all they had to do was skate down the ice and put the puck in the net. And, and Andrew Shearer failed to deliver in that regard. And there's a lot of Conservatives who will not forgive him for that. Uh, Charles, based on this long plan that you you feel that Doug Ford is potentially setting up for himself, uh, it would be likely that he will come across as very statesmanlike tomorrow when he visits the Prime Minister in Ottawa. Lovey-dovey. Lovey-dovey. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, Doug Ford is is a no-shrinking violet. Um, he is, you know, he, he will stand up and he will fight for what he believes to be the priorities of Ontarians. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if it was kind of the opposite of what we were expecting, which is he will go in and be tough as nails and then come out and be sunshine and roses, mm-hmm. as opposed to what so often happens, which I think happened with the meeting with Premier Mo of Saskatchewan when he met with the Prime Minister two weeks ago. He went into the meeting. They obviously had a very substantive discussion about what needed doing, and then Premier, so it was positive, and then walked out and just dumped all over the Prime Minister. And, and I, so I won't be surprised if Doug Ford takes the exact opposite approach. But it is interesting to see what is clearly a substantial shift in, in the Conservatives' thinking at Queen's Park in terms of how they feel they have to deal with the federal government. And as Doug Ford himself said, it's time to get shovels in the ground. It's time to start building infrastructure. And we have an Ontario Minister of Infrastructure um, who has a lot of leeway to, to work cooperatively with the provinces and, you know, with so many Liberal seats in Ontario, it stands to reason that there are real opportunities here. Fascinating insights. Charles Bird. thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Jane. Always a pleasure. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.